end the show with um, very provocative works that surround um, the uh, he, he brought the actual steel rebar um, it's the big installation at the end of the show called Straight um, where he brought um, the actual steel rebar from the perished um, sites in Sichuan and actually straightened each individual rebar to kind of make a political statement um, of the, the way in which the built buildings were not um, you know, erected properly and also the kind of silencing that happened um, with the government not revealing the um, children's names. And so um, as opposed to Ai Weiwei's very public kind of stance, I just, I felt like, you know, something that could be revealed um, today is the nature in which um, he, a very complex aesthetic language that um, Ai has used since the mid-90s, and um, that is the... Um, combination of cultural codes, basically embedding cultural codes um, using very uh, specific materials, in this, in this case kippa, um, which is a German term that means uh, precarious balance. It's actually um, what this work here is combining two different elements. So you see this um, iron parallel bars that are used in gymna gymnastics as, and then pulling together in, within the negative space of um, the parallel bars, you see fragments from dismantled Qing, Qing Dynasty temples. And um, this is made out of Tieli wood, which um, the artist has brought from Guangdong, um, an area in which there's abundance of furniture making. And, um, and you'll see with many of the other works as well, he utilizes the um, this material of Tieli wood, um, I think quite deliberately in order to for us to contemplate the um, the historical kind of dis, um, destruction of these uh, temples, um, especially during the period in which um, he was brought up, the Cultural Revolution from 1966 to 76, and um, so so. The, what makes this very personal is that when he was growing up, uh, as many of you know, he was uh, born in 1957 in Beijing, and he was born under a very prominent poet, Ai Ching, um, an intellectual who was um, exiled, um, deemed a rightist under Mao Zedong, and exiled to a northwestern region province named um, Xinjiang. So he was, so Ai Weiwei was brought up in a very conformed kind of um, environment in which his father was um, for, was forced to do menial labor. And um, during that time, in the schoolyards, there were only two real kind of playground items, and that was the parallel bars and also the um, uh, basketball hoop. And so this is kind of a memory from his childhood. And then also, outside of his home, um, many of his kind of family friends would come by to express their ad admiration for the way in which the uh, firewood was stacked outside the their home. And so he combines these kind of two um, pieces together in order to create this, um, this sculpture. And um, just to go back to the name Kippa, um, so Kippa actually, I looked this up and it's very interesting. Um, so it is a German term that means precarious balance, but, and also it means kind of to tilt or to topple over. Um, so in a sense that 
also means that it is, you know, a liminal kind of position between two, it's a kind of a boundary between two um, ideas. And also, um, the word also means um, a pile of kind of um, debris. It's, it's, a, it's also a term for kind of a waste dump. Um, it is also uh, the, the, the phrase Auf der Kippe in, um, in German is uh, basically like along the line, some kind of like a risky um, take along the line. So um, I think it's very apt for the way in which Ai Weiwei brings these two elements together. But also conceptually, he is very interested in not only just dictating, you know, his kind of political messages, but having an inquisitive approach to the way in which he sees um, how we should be approaching, seeing kind of political um, you know, positions, and also within um, China, for example, the um, kind of dichotomies between um, the uniqueness and also kind of this kind of massive um, population. Um, so the individual versus the mass, also uniqueness versus, um, you know, the copy, um, and also particularity versus universality. I mean, these are kind of big ideas that I think kind of filter through his work. And so to be able to have a term that kind of encompasses some of those conceptual aspects is very um, apt for this. Um, I also wanted to talk about the way in which this work was made. Um, so this is a completely freestanding um, structure. So there's no glue, no nails. Um, this was actually brought into the museum with seven crates that were filled with these fragments of um, iron wood. And they <clears throat> were basically just scattered around the floor. Um, thousands of pieces. And there's one carpenter who um, has been working with Ai Weiwei since um, the nine, basically for 18 years. And um, he is the only person that can do this. And um, every time this work is installed, it's different because of the, there's no numbering system, there's no sequence. So it's basically up to him. And basically what happened was we, um, had this parallel bar um, installed, and then he put these kind of thin boards on either end of the parallel bars, and then um, at the corners, he just dropped a white string. And then he began um, filling the, the kind of negative space. And um, it was just kind of, you know, this he would be doing aerobics and kind of singing and he was kind of in his own zone and he was just able to have this very, um, you know, physical um, alignment and relationship with the ways in which um, the fragments would be put together and stacked. And along the floor, I mean, I was watching him and basically he would have, um, it was all kind of categorized by different sizes. And um, so he was able to kind of, you know, um, eye which pieces would be able to go where, but, you know, he would kind of test things out um, along the way. And so it took about five days total. We have a, a lot of photographs. The artist is very um, 
much into documenting his installations. So if you've seen the third floor, we have a piece called 258 Fake. It's the 12 monitors of digital photographs. And in one of those monitors, you can see the installation process. So there are pictures that you know document the process. And also in the catalog, um, I believe we have some documentary photographs um, with, yes. I know, that was, it would have been great to see the video. But, um, and so basically what Ai Weiwei told him um, was, you know, I, I don't want the surface to look the same as the last time. And so um, he was able to take that kind of instruction and create a completely different face along the exterior. Um, and these ornaments that you see here, um, these are all taken from the original Qing Dynasty um, temples. And um, basically, the, the wood itself, I think it's, um, it's very hard, coarse, textured wood. Um, and they, the, there's a tradition, I think, starting from the Ming Dynasty, where there's very kind of simplicity in the way that these, these woods were usually used for furniture for, I think, the, um, the literati and the intellectuals. So there's a very kind of simple um, aesthetic. But then into the Qing Dynasty, um, because of it was under the Manchu rule, and also there was a, um, many of the, like through the Opium Wars, um, there was a, some influence of, the, um, of Western kind of stylistic techniques. And so um, what you see is kind of auspicious, uh, designs as well as um, kind of decorative qualities that are almost Western in nature, um, also depicting kind of these uh, foliage and um, you know some kind of uh, also geometric patterns. So on the other side here, you see a very kind of uh, horizontal uh, log with a geometric pattern, and this is very characteristic of the um, that the Qing Dynasty um, kind of style. And so, in a sense, um, what we see here is, you know, um, a, also um, a very, very interesting um, kind of contemplation and, and uh, use of various kind of avant-garde techniques, um, one of which is Dada. And um, Marcel Duchamp, in particular, was a very inspirational figure for Ai Weiwei. And so you see the ready-made. Um, in a sense, this parallel bar is a ready-made. And um, within this ready-made, the, the point of the ready-made basically is to um, strip the use of the, this, like a formally functional item and then transform it into a different context here. And so... Um, what you see here is, you know, he's obviously, uh, with the parallel bars, usually there's people, you know, you are able to have this freedom to kind of swing, you know, um, on, on, on the bars, but in, within that space, he's actually filled it with this wood. And so the function of the parallel bars have, has been stripped. And, um, and, you know, if you take it to kind of a different level, you know, you might be questioning what that means. Um, perhaps the freedom the, w during the time that he was growing up, during the Cultural Revolution, it was very much confined. And so, it's, you know, in a sense, you can take this as a kind of statement against, you know, the freedom that was um, allotted within his, um, his childhood. Also, um, 
this is a very minimalist, um, iconic kind of rectangular block. And so um, he uses, you know, the kind of aesthetic codes of minimalism, um, but instead of minimalism's very kind of repetitive forms, the stacks, the progressions that you see, um, the kind of unity and the kind of resoluteness of the cube that you see in like a Donald Judd, um, instead of that, he defies that kind of um, regularity and, you know, inserts this very chaotic um, fragments within this block, this so it's basically combining order and disorder. In a sense, it's about chaos and order, um, which I think you know are not mutually exclusive. They're something that he also went through, um, and I think still is China is going through now with the various transformations that are taking place. So um, I can speak further about this as well, but if you have any questions, I'd rather I'd kind of have this as an open dialogue as well. I believe that he did put it together with his staff the first time, but every time that this has been installed, he hasn't been able to, I mean, his, his the carpenters that he works with is the head of his kind of wooden um, all of the kind of craft work that he, that he does, and so um, and especially this time, um, because Ai Weiwei wasn't able to leave the country, you know, he was he uh, um, assigned someone to work on it. So, um, but I believe that he worked with his like together with the craftsmen. And also, I should point out that um, you know this is a unique piece. There's a lot of works by Ai Weiwei that are um, there are many series. Um, for example, the Divina Proportione, the balls, um, you know, there's many different kind of iterations of that sculpture. Also, the moon chest that you see in the next gallery, um, there's also, you know, many other different versions of that. But this is a very unique, um, only, you know, there's one, there's only one. But the irony is that it does change every time. Is there any story about the Qing Dynasty um, uh, temples that were destroyed? Were they destroyed at the uh, at the time just before Ai Weiwei made this, or was it uh, long before, or what? I believe it was long before. I mean, he, Ai Weiwei was um, in the business of importing and exporting vintage furniture. Um, he lived in New York since 1991, to, or sorry, 1981 to 1993. And I think during the time he was uh, living with his brother, he was able to work on some of, um, kind of, you know, working with vintage furniture. And um, he was also a, a collector of these. Um, and so his, I know that his family also was helping out with this. So in terms of the, the um, just, I think, the Qing Dynasty temples were already kind of destro destroyed, and he was able to just access the fragments from these dismantled um, pieces. Not, he's never commented on a specific narrative, especially for this piece, but but it's definitely a historical concern that he's had. So I actually have. Is this a couple questions? The first is about the objects themselves, about the wood, and then the parallel bars. Were these, like the wood, was that taken from furniture, or was it found and then he just chopped it into pieces? And then with the parallel bars, were those made in his workshop, or did he find them somewhere, and where did they come from? 
the wood, I think, is taken from the actual architecture. It's not uh, furniture. I think it's just like the columns. So if you if you look at, um, for example, China log, that is made out of eight different um, columns from a Qing Dynasty temple. And so in this case, I think that the, those columns were broken broken down. Um, and as far as the parallel bars, I don't know exactly where he got that from. Um, I mean, it looks like it's, it's old, and it was probably also discarded, um, judging from the um, rust. A visitor asked me earlier if there's a specific reason that um, they were taken from temples and that religious connotation, or if um, they were or if, if the pieces are wood from temples because of the quality? Is it more like because of material purposes or conceptual purposes? I think um, I do know that Ai Weiwei starts with the material. He does, the material is very, very important to him. And I don't think that the religious aspect is as important. But I should say um, that the Qing Dynasty temples were also, you know, a cultural heritage, some, you know, obviously cultural heritage that at the end of when the fall of the um, dynasty, which is, it was the last imperial dynasty from 1644 to 1911, and then, you know, China became a republic, and I think that that past had basically been, um, you know, under Mao, who, the, and, and the revolution in 1949, I think that a lot of these kind of cultural um, heritage and elements were um, were quickly kind of purged. And so it's, I think, more a statement against that um, silencing or, you know, that purging. Um, not necessarily about the, I mean, I'm sure that there, there are religious kind of, you know, um, connotations, but it's not as prevalent as much as the um, kind of material aspects. I mean, I think you can't really separate the two as much either, but. Are these pieces how he found them, or did he cut them up for the sculpture? That's a good question. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure if he, I know that he found them as fragments, but I'm not sure if he further cut them. Um, I don't know. I don't think that they were cut in order to make this perfect shape because every time that is, yeah. But I'm not sure about the further, you know, um, cutting. I don't. I, I have a feeling that they were all found this way, and um, but I mean, you know, they were discarded, and then he was he basically bought all of them together and um, you know used the pieces. And also, I should say that the. Um, we have all the fragments in the crates, but um, he didn't use everything. The, craft, the carpenter didn't actually use every single, you know, fragment. It was basically in order to make this, so. You know the history of art. We have the Earth period, and um, we once had an exhibit here at the Hirschhorn. It wasn't that period, but I remember that um, the artists would send the things. They didn't send a craftsman. The curator had to put the show together, and if they didn't have enough pieces, they went out in the street and found pieces to add to the blueprint. So I feel like this has a history besides Duchamp. Yeah. In it. No, you're right. Um, 
I was also thinking about, um, you're talking about land art and also just the post-minimalist process art and um, the period, I think like late 60s, early 70s, when the artists were basically submitting the plans and then they would, it's very site-specific in a sense that some of the materials would be found locally and then they would arrive or maybe, you know, they wouldn't be here, but they would have someone put it together for them, yeah. So I would say that there's definitely relationship dialogue with that um, process as well. Yes, it's called um, Ends of the Earth, yeah. My professor actually uh, uh, is the curator. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think this would, it's not, I mean, this is wood and using natural wood, so I, that's true. I mean, I would, I would put it in that category, but. Has the artist uh, commented on how the carpenter's uh, interpretation and own personal experiences, how it's been interjected into the work just because it's been remade and remade and. Well, you know, I think in follow-up to the last question, I mean, there's a whole history of um, even beginning with Duchamp, you know, this idea of um, originality and artistic, you know, authorship. Um, and I think Ai Weiwei understands that the concept itself or the kind of idea that, you know, it derives from him and the execution doesn't necessarily have to be him. And so... Um, yeah, it's it becomes a kind of collaboration, you might say, but in a sense, you know, he did, yeah, in a way, like he came up with kind of the, you know, architectural frame, and then the execution was done by the craftsmen. So, um, but as far as like creative interpretation, I mean, I think it's all part of it. You know, the fact that the work changes, it's also out of the artist's hands. Um, and, yeah, I mean, every time it changes, it's, it's all part of the work. Well, thank you very much for coming. Thank you, thank you Mika.